0: All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, thank you so much for uh, not only singing what's one of my favorites, but uh, hopefully singing one of yours uh, here today as well as we have come together to enjoy one another, uh, to enjoy each other's company, to uh, encourage one another, to lift each other up. Get ready for this new week that is to come. It is spring break here in Hamilton County, so we do have a lot of people who are traveling around. And we want to, again, make sure that we continue to remember those uh, in prayer. Also those that John mentioned um, who have asked for special prayers because of health concerns and things that are, are going on in their life. We're in a series called God Is, as Sean mentioned, trying to understand a little bit better about the God that we we serve. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between us and God. Last week I referenced the allegorical community that David Dark described in his book, The Sacredness of Questioning Everything. It was a community of individuals who pay lip service to the existence of the goodness and the generosity of a figure that they call Uncle Ben. And their conversations each week will talk about how good Uncle Ben is and how generous Uncle Ben is, how loving Uncle Ben is. And weekly they get together and they share in small groups with one another about their week and inevitably conversation leads to to Uncle Ben. Near the end of their time together, they file downstairs. They sit in a large room facing a large furnace in front, stands a very large man with his back to the audience. And when he turns, this huge figure is filled with rage, and he shouts at the congregants who are there. And he asks them if they believe that he is good and loving and worthy of praise. And they respond, yes, Uncle Ben, we believe that you are good, that you are loving, and that you are worthy of praise. He reminds them that if they do not believe that they'll be thrown into his fiery furnace forever. The large man then turns his back on the audience and one by one the people begin to file out feeling that Uncle Ben has said all that there is to say to them for the week and they go about their week trying to treat others kindly and, and still talk about the goodness of Uncle Ben and Dark says that the people live in fear. They live in fear because the Uncle Ben that they profess is caring and is generous and is good and loving They actually believe he is nothing of the sort. But they dare not voice their inner doubt. The God that they want and the God that they need is nothing like the man that they see that stands right in front of them each and every week, standing between them and the furnace. Can you relate? Is there such a disconnect between you and God? Now we sound really good when we talk about God. We will say God is, and we fill in the blank, God is love, God is good, God is great, God is real, all these things that we attribute to God. But when you listen to us, when you you listen to us speak, it does not always match the actions, the way in which we live Because you listen to our words and we're so certain about who God is. But then you watch our lives and we express how fearful we are that we might be wrong. Because we say, God is good. And then we curse the darkness as soon as something bad happens and we say, why? We say, God is forgiving of everyone but me because I just don't think I can be forgiven. We say, God is wise. But then we just decide to go and chart our own course and do our own thing and live our own life and make our own decisions. We say God is love over and over. And yet we feel as if we have to earn it because surely God's love isn't just given away free. You see, our doubts reveal what we really believe about God. We said last week, don't, don't tell me... Don't tell me what you believe about God. Tell me your doubts. Tell me your doubts because that is where we truly get down to the truth, to the the heart of the matter. And those doubts, we said, could be huge boulders that stand in the way of our journey following after Christ, but they can also be little pebbles that get in our shoe and they're just uncomfortable and every once in a while we have to stop and, and shake them out when our mind whispers to our heart and asks questions like, is God really there? And if so, does he actually care about me? We say things like, does anything actually happen or change when I pray and study the Bible? And why don't I feel like I used to when it comes to my faith? And if I really believe, then why do I have all of these doubts? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we said that we would just spend some time over the next few weeks shining a light on our hidden fears about God. Answering this question. God is. And so we're going to talk about our concerns as to whether or not God is patient. Whether or not God is good. Whether or not God is just. Whether or not God is merciful, wise. We're going to give voice to our doubts. So that we can step away from the duplicitous existence that currently terrifies us. And I know that as we go through this, some of you even maybe thought it last week. You're like, I don't know if we can talk about these kind of things. I don't know if we should talk about these kind of things. And usually we say that because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we actually voice the doubts that we have about God, that somehow God will no longer love us, no longer care about us. That we forfeit his grace. And so that's why last week we started right there with the idea. Can we come to God in our disbelief and still receive his mercy? And we learned that God is patient with our questions. So why don't we go and ask another big one this week. Sean's already alluded to it. The big one that's going to be on our plate it's the idea, is God actually good? It's an ancient question. It's one that's been asked from the very beginning, Adam and Eve ask it, or maybe we should say the serpent asked it for them. And their answer was, no, we don't think God is actually that good. It's a question that would continue to be asked. Job would ask it in his pain and torment, and he would discover that the answer was beyond and too great of his understanding. David would ruminate over this whole idea, psalm after psalm after psalm. Jeremiah would ask it as he lamented, as he cried out over the desolation of the holy city of God. But maybe in all of scripture, no one asked it more bluntly than an angry prophet that when I was growing up, I thought his name was Tobacco. I did. Did you know that you have a book in your Bible named Tobacco? It, it's in there. Just some people call it Habakkuk. That's, that's how some pronounce it. But as I was growing up, I don't know why, but it just stuck into my mind that there was this prophet named Tobacco, and there he was in the Bible. His name is Habakkuk, and it's hard to say without spitting on people. And no matter what you call him, you You have to be honest and say he was a very blunt individual who did not mind getting in the face of God. Here's how he opens his question. How long, O Lord? How long must I call for help? But you do not listen. Those are his opening words. I mean, that's the way that he approaches God. How long? How long must I cry out to you violence, but you don't save? The pain that he sees around him is is too great to ignore. The hatred and violence that, that he witnesses, that is being inflicted on one person after another, day after day, it is too long gone unchecked. And so his question is to God, where are you? Are you not seeing what is going on? Why haven't you responded? And Habakkuk wants an answer. And maybe you want one too. On Friday, 50 people were gunned down in two separate Christ Church New Zealand mosques. And people ask, where was God? Last Sunday, One hundred and fifty-seven people were killed in the crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. And again, people wondered, is God good? On March 3rd, 23 members of the small town of Beauregard, Alabama, including seven family members, were killed by an EF-4 tornado with winds reaching 170 miles per hour. God doesn't care about Beauregard. On March 1st, our community mourned the death of one of our own, Officer Nicholas Scott Gallinger. What about his life? Where was God? God, I want an answer. Where are you in the midst of pain and violence and hatred? How long, O Lord, must I call out for help? But you do not listen. You don't think that has been asked over this last month? You don't think that cry has gone out? And we're just talking about things that have happened over the last 17 days. I cry out to you. Violence But you don't save one day two young children a sister and brother they were witnessing the cat and mouse game up close and personal because their family cat had cornered a rat in their garage and the cat was just toying with this animal and so the cat would grab the the little rat, and hold it between its paws and then let it go and then chase it back down and hold it and and let it go. The young girl who was watching was a first grader. She was an animal lover. And when she sees what's happening, she just loses it and she starts chasing the cat. She chases the cat who's chasing the rat. And all the time, the boy, four years old, is watching his sister and he's watching the cat and he's watching the rat. This goes on for some time and... Finally, the boy just sticks his hand in his pocket and he says, you know, it's just nature. It's just nature. To which his sister replied, it's easy for you to say because you're not the rat. And here's what I want to be careful of this morning. I don't want you to see me as one who is here this morning stuffing my hands in my pockets looking at the pain and suffering that is in this room and is in this world and telling you it's just nature. It's just nature. This is a sinful fallen world and bad things are going to happen. Now understand that very much may be true and that might be right but when you're the rat it doesn't help very much. It doesn't help. When you're the one that says, how long, O Lord, must I call out to you for help? God's response to Habakkuk might stun you if you've never read this prophet's writing. It's stunning and it's illogical. God said, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people who are feared and dreaded, who come bent on violence, guilty men whose own strength is their God. He says, I'm going to raise them up to execute my justice and punish the evil that has overtaken Israel. That was God's response to Habakkuk's prayer. That was God's response to him saying, how long? That was his response to him saying, there's violence everywhere and you're doing nothing. What are you going to do? And God says, I'm going to raise up an even worse people than you. And they're going to carry out my justice. And for Habakkuk, it's no answer at all. I mean, how could he? How dare he? Why would God, the Holy One, who, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrong, why would God use the wicked to swallow up those who are more righteous? Here's Habakkuk's complaint. And it's rooted in this. Habakkuk believes that God is betraying himself by using the Babylonians as his instrument of his purpose. By doing this, Habakkuk believes that God is actually violating his own character. He's mocking everything that he's taught us to believe about him. His fairness and his justice, his mercy and his goodness. Habakkuk's like, how could God allow this? And it's the key question. How can a loving God an all-powerful God allow such evil to exist, let alone flourish? And let's just be honest, some people just get stalled right there. Some people's lives just get stalled right there. Because you hurl your question skyward and you wait to see what God is going to say. And you wait. And you wait through the long nights and you wait through the gray mornings and nothing comes. And you wait some more until after many seasons, finally, maybe you just give up. Maybe that's what happens to one of your coworkers. Maybe it's happened to someone in your family. Maybe it's happened to individuals that you see on social media. They waited for an answer. And if any answer came, they felt it was illogical, that it didn't make sense. And they just gave up. I mean, after all, why Hitler and why Stalin? And why Charles Manson and Osama Bin Laden? Why apartheid? Why genocide? Homicide? Why suicide and all the Ides put together? Why so many villains that live in palaces? Why so many saints living in huts? Why cancer that we have to rally the people of God to pray for? Spina bifida, deafness, and blindness. Why is there metal fatigue in trains and electrical failure in planes and drunk drivers that swerve all over the highway and take innocent lives? God's answer to Habakkuk is extremely frustrating because basically he says, Trust me, wait, and trust me. He tells them that the evil of the Babylonians are going to double back on them in time. So wait and be patient. But the only people these words console are those who are not presently suffering. People in need and in pain are not so much concerned about what works out in the end because they are tied up in an agony of knots now. And I know that we've been well-meaning at times. And we've seen individuals who have been going through hurt and pain. And meaning well, we have tried to find some Bible verse that will take away that pain. And maybe you have turned to Romans 8, 28, and you've said, well, you know, all things work together to good for good for those that love the Lord. And yet the last word people need to hear at such moments is that God at some distant point in the future in some tangible mystical way will work things out for good because they're sitting there saying if God is good why isn't he working things out now? Why isn't he working it out now? That's what Habakkuk wants to know. That's what people in New Zealand want to know. It's what people who lost family members in the airline disaster want to know. It's what people in Alabama are asking. It's what people here in Chattanooga are saying. Why? Why not now? In the middle of God's second response to Habakkuk, he says something that's the key to the whole question the key to the whole question as to whether or not he is good. And it's the key in fact to the whole of life. Now at first glance when you see it, it's going to seem as little comfort. It's going to seem as if it's a band-aid that's being placed on a ruptured artery. But it's much more than that. It is the core of our faith. He says the righteous. The righteous, he says, will live by His faith. And faith being this. Resting in the character of God. In the ultimate goodness of God. Resting and trusting in him even when he seems untrustworthy. So that when you do not understand God's answer. You still trust in his heart. You see, Habakkuk has already listed what he knows to be true about God. He has already said, God is pure and God is just. It is Habakkuk's foundational understanding of who God is, that he is good, that upsets him in the first place. See, Habakkuk's question is not so much, God, are you good? It's that, look, I know you are good. That's why I don't understand what I'm seeing around me. I know that you are just. I know that you are watching. That's why he's upset. Because I know that you are good, I've got to ask why. And God's response is, if you know that I am good, then rest and trust in my goodness. If you know that I'm good, then trust my goodness. Jesus would later address it this way. He would say, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him see Jesus he's going on the foundation that God is good and because he is good he says then rest and trust in his goodness trust in it sleep there he says because you guys know how to do good things you guys know how to give good gifts to your children you guys know how to give blessing to those you care about and Jesus says but you're sinful and you still understand this he says so how much more then is God able to give good gifts because the foundation is that God is good so trust his goodness Rest in his goodness. When you do not understand his answer, you trust his heart. So Habakkuk, knowing the pain and violence that is to come, knowing what is going to happen when the Babylonians and their hordes descend on the people of God, he chooses his final response. And he pins a remarkable declaration of faith. And if you've never seen it, I hope that you'll find Habakkuk slash tobacco in your Old Testament. And I hope that you'll turn to the very last chapter and look at verse 17. And I hope you'll put a star by it. And I hope you'll highlight it. Because there's going to be something that happens in the next 30 days that will give you a reason to question the goodness of God. There's going to be something that's going to happen. There are going to be multiple things that are going to take place where you're going to see people flood social media with questions about God. That you're going to see it all over the news. And maybe somebody's even going to come to you and say, what do you think about this? How can you still have faith in God? How can you serve this God? How can you love this God with all of these things that are going on? And you can take them to a book called Tobacco Habakkuk. And you can show them the choice that you have made. Because of your foundational belief that God is good. That even though you don't understand the answer all the time, you will trust his heart. And so you've chosen this declaration of faith. He wrote, even though the fig trees have no blossoms. And there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And so hear me. I am not... I'm not here this morning with my hands in my pocket saying it's no big deal. Live with it. Deal with it. What I am saying is I know that God is good and I will rest and trust in his goodness. And it's the spirit I believe that we need to have. That we will stand up and we will say with determination and with a spirit of defiance, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And listen, my financial future may be uncertain, but I know that God is good. And my relationship with my family may be going through some tough times, but I know that God is good. And my health may be on shaky ground, but I know that God is good. And even though there is war and rumors of war and neighbors are consumed by violence and even though young and old die senselessly and sickness and disease are widespread even though there is disparity of wealth and injustice abounds yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation because the sovereign Lord Is my strength. He said, Chris, how can you say that? How can you say that knowing all the hurt and all the pain and all the anger and all the hatred and all the violence? It's because I've seen all that. And I know that it is not good, but I trust in the words of Jesus that no one is good except God alone. Therefore, I will rest and trust in his goodness. Will you join me in prayer? Father, there are so many things that we do not understand. And just over the last 17 days, we have seen so much heartache and pain. We have seen evil. And we have mourned and we have wept. And we have become angry. And Father, there have been times where we have allowed our doubts to overwhelm us. And so we come to you this morning confessing our belief and asking that you help our unbelief. We come to you this morning knowing in our souls that you are good, but confessing that we do not always understand the answers that we see. give us the strength to rest in your goodness grow our faith so that even when we do not have the answer that we know that we can trust in your character Oh, Father, we see so many declarations of your goodness around us. So many things that remind us of how you you care for your creation. So many things that remind us how you weep over the sin that is present. Father, help us to be able to be your ambassadors during seasons of doubt help us to be able to have the faith of Habakkuk that we might be able to continue to trust in you our Lord and our Savior even when we look around and see those things that are not good and allow us to be be the Your instrument, your voice in a world that is crying out in pain. May we point them to your goodness. May we point them to your Son. May we point them to your Spirit. Thank you for allowing us in our doubts to reach out to you. And thank you for strengthening us and holding us close during those moments where it seems like everything is falling apart around us. Father, we know that you are working. And Father, we do know that there is coming a day when all evil will cease. That all tears will be dried. That all the pain will be removed. And that your reign will be eternal. We long for that day. And until it comes, may we trust in your goodness. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? And praise the God of all goodness. And if you need to come, we encourage you to do so as we sing together.